you want me to go? Do you want to go? You like to go through it before the first time? I this is, yeah, no, I think I think it's fun to to kind of hear about. I want to hear your story of you know you um, you know pretend I haven't read the the book, but but basically mm-hmm. um, you know your story of you get out of school 2012, right, right, right. get a great job, uh, you know what you think is going to be a good job. Right, right, right. Kind of take you, us from there. You think going to be good? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You okay? So let me question. Because yeah, sure, this, sure. this isn't this isn't the show. We haven't started yet, right? Oh, totally. We have. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. For, well, yeah, yeah. That's what. So I, I'll cut out a bunch of that. That. Oh, talk. that's what I'm confused about because we just started <laughs> talking and I'm like, what? No, that's the fun stuff, man. Oh no. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know we started. I was like, what are we doing? Okay, you got to no, cut this sorry. Out. Right, yeah, so no, ask that again, I'll, and then let me. And then let me. I really <laughs> thought because I just like plugged it in. I really, I'm like waiting for you to start, like to say the thing, and then we go through no, our thing. No, no, that's okay. What, so, sorry, though, so I, I should have prefaced it by saying, look, my goal is to have natural conversations, and okay. so what I like to do is start out by having those kind of conversations where we're sort of BSing a little bit and catching oh, up. Right? Oh, I really was not is, ready. You know, one of the fun parts, Adam, and I, we're going, so we're live, but okay. one of the fun parts is that if I were to call you up or, or email you or text you and said, Adam, let's sit down for an hour and talk. Okay. I mean, you're a nice guy. Yeah, I but, try to be. Uh, and, I, and I'm a nice guy, but you and I would probably not have, we would not make the time to do that unless we were at like right. at a meeting, we're having at a, a conference. Drink, right, 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 right. So, um, so what's really been fun about this podcast is what I like to do is, is just have these conversations because it lets, it lets me kind of think through these things. It lets our listeners really think through them as you see. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I don't have like a scripted set of questions. I mean, I, I've, I've okay. read a lot. Uh, so no, no, that, that's fair. That's fair. We <laughs> can have a conversation. All right. So, that, so I'm, I'm going to give you the rundown. Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf podcast on iCode media. Today, I had a great conversation with Dr. Adam Ramsey about his new book, Play Chess, Not Checkers. And it was a lot of fun to catch up with Adam. He and I had, had met each other back in 2011, and we were able to reconnect uh, last year in 2019 and when he was just starting to write this book. And so we didn't talk too much about the book, although we did a little bit, but it was just fun to, to see his passion and his energy for the profession. So please enjoy our conversation. As always, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star review and support those who support us. As optometrists, we're problem solvers. I always take the time to ask specific questions of my patients to ensure they don't have symptoms that they're not associating with their eyes or perhaps think is not something I can or will address. I found that asking the right questions to get the bottom of their needs is important. Questions like, how do your contact lenses feel at the end of the long day? What time of day do you take your lenses out? What time of day do you wish you could take your lenses out? On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your contacts? Questions like these allow us to solve problems for our patients that they may not know how to tell us about, resulting in happier patients and more demonstrable value for our services. It also keeps our practice at the forefront of a patient's mind with new technology, and they hear about that technology first from us, which is what I think they expect. Check out the show links for how Cooper Vision is helping us be proactive with these types of conversations. you the rundown so i i'm graduating it's 2011 i just passed the the course and i passed part one after um hanging out with you and you helping me <laughs> through that 
that there and I get an email saying, hey, I have an office in Stewart, Florida, an optician, and I have an office in Stewart, Florida, and I'm looking for a doctor to come next door to me and do eye exams, right? Yep. Adam, tell me about, tell me about real quick Stewart, Florida. I don't know what that's like. Well, Stewart, there, so. Florida is in between Orlando and Fort Lauderdale. So like okay. think halfway between Orlando and Fort Lauderdale on the East Coast. That's where Stewart, Florida is, right? Yep. I grew up near Fort Lauderdale. It's two hours away. So it wasn't a city that I was looking to go to. But I said, you know what? It's a great opportunity. Let me, let, let, let me try it out. I fly down there. I check it out. The office looks beautiful. I have a, two, two spaces. I have an exam room and a pretest room and my own waiting area and my own door to go in and out. I'm like, oh, man, this has just got to be meant to be. So I sign up. I buy Revolution EHR. I buy autorefractor. I bring in all my stuff. I buy computers, tablets. I'm ready to go. Revolution say you need this, that, and the other. <laughs> Printer, computer, tablet. I'm like, if I got Revolution EHR and 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 some computers and an autorefractor and the stuff I got I got from school, I'm ready to good to go. A week before we're about to open, he says, Hey, come on into the office. I need to talk to you. I show up at the office and he has all the frames coming off the wall and he's taking stuff off the wall. And I'm like, hey, why are you taking stuff off the wall? I would have, you know, if you're coming to paint, I would have came to help you paint. You know, you yep. just said, say something. And he's like, oh, no, well, I decided to close the office instead of restarting with you and getting the new fresh energy that you were bringing in. I decided not to renew my lease and I'm closing. So you need to get mm. all your stuff out. So within the next 10 minutes, I had to pack up all my stuff, put it back in, in the back of my station wagon and drive back to my house that I just rented a couple weeks before. The furniture that I just got delivered from City Furniture you know, got delivered last week. And now I'm like unemployed, graduated, student loans about to kick on. What are you going to do? It's, so like, now, uh, it's like Kanye West in college dropout, right? You just yes. went to Ikea and put the bed together. Yeah, put everything together. <laughs> put everything together. So now I'm like, okay, uh, what do I do? So now I decide, all right, so now I'm doing filling. So I'm moonlighting everywhere and anywhere. So an hour north, an hour south, anybody who needs a doc, I'm the guy. So for the next month, two months, I'm going three, four days a week, up and down, anywhere that needs somebody, I'm signing up. I'm going half day, full day, whatever. Then I find American Optical Services, which is the private equity group of 2012, <laughs> has a listing. I don't know anything about American Optical Services. We don't talk about private equity in school. I knew nothing about it. All I knew was they had a job listing in West Palm Beach, okay? Mm. I go to the interview. I come into the interview. They tell me, hey, the, uh, the office is here. There's four staffers. The manager lives in North Carolina and manages remotely. And the lady, they're like, oh, we're going to um, interview a few of the doctors, this, that, and the other. And I look at the guy in the face and I say, listen, I'm the man. I'm going to be able to do this. I want to sign this today. So you're not interviewing anybody else. I'm taking this job today. I'm going to be able to crush it. I can handle it by myself. The guy looks at me like he graduated two minutes ago. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but he loved my confidence. And you know what? Before I got to the car, he gave me a, a contract for $100,000. And the manager, lives in, the manager lives in North Carolina. So all I had to do was submit reports weekly. <laughs> and uh, we did conference calls like every other week. And the rest of it, I ran the office. I got to pick the frames. I got to do everything I needed mm. to do. And I did that for nine months. And we grew the office 30%.
I'm loving it. it I mean, it's like my own space without, you know, I'm working $100,000 a year and, and, uh, and being able to run an office and set meetings, everything you'd want to do, yeah, you know, yeah. in an office. Then all of a sudden he comes in, he says, hey, we're flying in um, this week. Let's go for lunch. We go to a nice fancy steak dinner. And then he's like, well, we decided to close the office. We're going to reallocate funds. Um, he's like, you could buy it, but I need to know by next week. Mm. Otherwise, we're closing. I graduated nine months ago. Yeah. How can you tell me in a week I got to buy the office or I'm unemployed? Yeah, you know, not happening. It wasn't really a number that you could even give me for me to wrap my head around in one week. You're going from this to owning the office. It just wasn't possible. So um, once again, I didn't have a job. I had to go do filling all over again. And I said, you know what? I trusted in opticians. I trusted in optometrists. I trusted in corporations. Mm-hmm. And they all... I all lost my job for no reason, no fault of my own. So you know what? I got to go do it on my own. I'm done mm-hmm. with this. And three months later, I had a iconic eye care. I opened that up three months mm-hmm. later. Um, and I, I just had to do it on my own. I said, man, I can't no longer trust other people because people are going to let you down and corporations mm-hmm. will do what's best for them. At the end of the day, it's all about money. I, I, I can't take it personal. Um, I had to just say, you know what? I'd rather sink or swim on my own dime than to then to trust on somebody else to be able to do that for me. So I opened that up three months later and uh, I never really looked back. I've just been like, let's go for it. I'm ready to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, on the one hand, um, you know, you're, you're like me, man, you like the hustle, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like um, there's one thing I always say is that um, I really truly believe this. I, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'll outwork anybody. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's a, that's a really, uh, golden mentality to have, I think. And I see that in you and that's what, you know, that's what was fun to see when we connected, you know, all those years ago. And then we got to reconnect last April. I saw that same thing where it's like, look, um, you know, no, you're no doubt a smart guy, right? You're, you're no doubt. Uh, but, but there's, but there's a difference between sort of just sitting back on your laurels. And so then, you know, you could have been, right, you're eight years into practice, your own practice, you're starting to kind of hit your glide, uh, things are going well, um, Mm -hmm. you're pretty good at, you know, uh, promotion, both of yourself and your practice, I would say you do a really good job of that, much better job than I do. Um, And so then what was the impetus, I guess you're probably seven years into practice into your Mm -hmm. own practice, maybe six. What was the impetus to decide, I'm going to write, the, I'm write, write a book to help people kind of through the process that you had to go through to, to do, as you say, a warm start? So uh, a few years into the practice, I get a cease and desist letter hmm. from uh, VSP telling me that they have the trademark rights to Iconic Eye Care hmm. and, or Iconic, Iconic, but it's spelled E-Y-E-C-O-N-I-C. Yeah. And my web, my office was spelled I-C-O-N-I-C. And um, they tell me, hey, we like you. It's cool. But we're deciding <laughs> to, in, you, we're, we're, we're deciding to impose our trademark. We own this trademark. Wow. You have to change the name of your business. And now I had been trade, I had been, I had been credentialed with them for years. They write me checks for years. I am on their website under that name, everything. Mm. And they said, you know what? Yeah, it was my, our fault. You know, one hand wasn't talking to the other. You, you should have never had that name from the beginning when you, when you submitted 
to get credentials, somebody should have said something. But mm. the people in this department, that? though, that was in twenty. That was in twenty seventeen. Okay. So now, when I opened my office, I read every single book. So I read Al Kleiman's book. I've read E Myth Physician, E Myth Optometrist. I read Jerry uh, Jerry Hayes' book. I read mm. any business optometry book. 201 Secrets to High Performing Off. I mean, every single one of those books I have read at least two times over. Not a single one of them taught me about trademarking. Hmm. I, at the time, was the president of the Palm Beach County Optometric Association. I asked every single member we had, does anybody have their name trademarked? Zero members Hmm. had their name trademarked. So it wasn't a fault of I didn't do something that everybody else did. It was a fault of trademarking is not very common in our industry. And I picked a creative name, not knowing that somebody else had a trademark spelt differently. Mm. And now I have to then change my whole business and remarket and rebrand and redo everything that I spent thousands and tens of thousands of dollars into at no fault of my own. So I was sitting down there and I'm like, how could this happen to me? You know, I planned everything. I had a business plan. I had consultants. I am in vision source. I'm the president of the, the, the board. I'm to this meeting. I'm at that meeting. I'm speaking for this company. I'm speaking for that company. I go to every single conference. I'm at SECO, AOA, Visions, uh, vision source. Um, you know, every single conference. I've never heard anybody stand up in front of the podium and tell me, <laughs> trademark your name. So I said, you know what? If nobody else is saying it, why not you? You had the personal experience with it, and you can tell your story better than anybody else could. I said, you know what? Instead of me telling somebody else they should write it, why don't I write it? Yep. And I literally just sat down and started writing. And I said, you know what? If I can help somebody else go through, not go through what I went through, and I can save one person the headache, and I can save one person the sleepless nights, because I've spent tens of thousands of dollars to redo my name redoing the website, redoing all the marketing, branding materials, business cards, everything under the sun, signage in the store, um, you know, the SEO work that I did to have my website rank high, all that stuff I had to redo from scratch, um, which totally hurted my cash flow, which totally wrecked all my patients coming Mm. in, my new patient things dropped it it like half Mm. um, when the name uh, changed over. So if I could help somebody else and tell the story so at least they could say they heard it. So if a new student or, and that's my goal with this book, is that every single new student comes out, at least heard that they should trademark their name. When yep. they go, if, they, if, they, if they don't do it, then that's on them, but I don't want nobody to ever say they never heard that. Yep. And I could say that I never heard that. And when I tell the story to anybody else, they say they never heard it. And I know about two dozen optometrists that since I've done this, <laughs> have trademarked their name and I, and, and you know, then they have been around for a long time. And I'm like, yeah, you guys got to know, you know, go do it now. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I scared to tell the real story of how it happened. I don't want VSP to be mad at me or, you know, come back at me for anything, but that's the truth. It, it, it is the truth. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and I, you could think and say, what, why don't you, you know, drop VSP and do this? I said, they're the 800 pound gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that if you want to, but in a new office, you can't do that, you know, yep. you, you, and you can't, you know, you can't do that. So you have to play the game. And that's where the play chess, not checkers comes in. It's that we're all on this board together, right? Mm, but yep. big business is playing chess. 
Mm. And small companies and small offices are playing checkers on that same board. Mm. And those chess pieces can jump over those checker pieces really easily. And checker pieces are only going one space at a time, one space at a time. And these big businesses are being bought and sold and moved around and grouped together and making big strategies and having big initiatives that, that force and change the way we operate. So until optometrists and until optometry decides that we're going to play chess and mm. we're going to learn the rules of the game, because that's the trick. It's that the rules change. And if you don't know the new rules mm. and you can't play in 2020 with 2019 rules, you cannot go in there and say, woe is me. You know, why is this happening to me? You know, I did that for a couple of weeks and then I had to dust myself off and say, Adam, this is a big boy game. Yep. Okay, they playing a big boy game, and I, I and, and you're in big business now, so you have to go ahead and handle what you need to handle. So, dust yourselves off, find out the rules to the game. Okay, they control all, all the pieces, they have all the leverage. So, all right, now I need to play in a sandbox that does not require them. Now I need to go and make mm. business moves that does not require other people can't have leverage over me. Let me control my own destiny. Let me control what I can control, and let me put my own stuff in my own hands. Um, but if I could get any student, any new graduate, anybody starting a business to, to learn from that. And, um, you know, and I, and I tell them in the book, this is about getting people from never open the practice to open. Yep. You know, the, the next and the follow up book will be how to grow the business to get bigger, how to do other things. But there's also a lot of great books out there that I, meant, that I mentioned earlier that help people grow their business and think bigger and open their mind and stuff like that. But there wasn't a nuts and bolts book. There was not a book that said, you need a CAQH number, you need an MPI number, you need this, you need that, this is what you have to do here, this is what you do with insurances, this is what you do with contractors. Just the basics, which is what I hear from students, this is what I hear from all new grads, and stuff like that. They just want the basics. They just want to know, what do I do? I'm really confused, I just need some help. And that's yeah. what the purpose, why I started this book, um, and that's the feedback I've been getting that people have been really liking it so far. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you think about, um, first of all, do you like to actually play checkers or chess? I, I, I would play chess more than I would play checkers. So yeah. It's more I, strategy. I, yeah. So I, um, I can play chess, but mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I've never gotten the, you know, a long enough time to actually sit through <laughs> the strategy. So, uh, so I have to say that, that, uh, in, in terms of sitting down and playing a game, checkers, my game, <laughs> but so I, I'm an only child. So uh, I had a computer and they were, you could play against the computer and I, you, you could play chess. And oh, I was yeah. the guy when they had aim games and all the different games, and Yahoo, games. Start a, Yahoo games yeah. and all that stuff. And you could start a game and play with somebody remotely from across the, across the world. Um, I used to play all those card games and stuff like that by myself because I was the only child. Hmm. So um, all those different little strategy games and stuff like that. So I, I played that. Now, I haven't played in a little while. Uh, so the book, the book, the name was more of a play on words more sure. than like I'm, a, I'm not a chess champion. Yeah. I just understand the concept. Uh, no, no but two. so it's interesting because because um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about your perspective on, um, I mean, the, you know, the fact that like, what do you see, let's say over the last, besides, you know, sort of the swooping up of iconic and forcing you to, to kind of come up with your new brand socialite, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, 
what else are you seeing that maybe other people aren't seeing this game of chess that some of these big boys are playing, these gorillas are playing that um, we're trying to be responsive to as opposed to paving our own ways? What do you see people getting caught up in? I don't think people are understanding how you really got to control your cost of goods. Hmm. You know, I don't think people are really understanding how much you need to control and know and understand the numbers. Most people are, a lot of people are in the business, but don't understand the business. They don't understand the business that they're actually in and they don't realize how much a a customer and a customer acquisition, keeping your cost of customer acquisition down and controlling your numbers and controlling your costs. I don't think they're, that most optometrists are really understanding and making sure that they really understand what goes and what works. You know, what works to bring in a customer? What are they asking for? The connection between the, the customer and the optical and, and why they're coming back and what, where are they coming from? Really understanding the, the flows and the cash flow and stuff like that. I don't think most optometrists and most offices are understanding that. And I really feel like these businesses are are, are grouping together because that vertical integration is important. You got to, that supply chain of understanding if I can control my costs all the way up and down that supply chain, I can, can I, I can keep myself from not moving back and forth and wavering when different things happen. And um, when they have that vertical integration and you really can't do anything about that, um, most optometrists are not realizing how much this, the landscape is changing. If, if everybody controls all the insurances and you control the places where you can sell the product, you control the products that are in there, you control healthcare as a whole when they can offer those vision plans to medical plans and say optometrists will see those patients and do a diabetic exam because I'll force them to do one and, and, then, and then I'll let them so that they cannot bill any way, any way around that. If you don't pep up and you don't pay attention to what's going on and really try and say, you know what, I can, I can control this. I can control my effort. I can control, I can work on my cash pay business. I can work on in the dry space and the vitamin space. And I can work in these spaces that the patients are coming in and choosing me and not allowing the plan to choose and control or how they, how they rank you. And they can put these people above you and these people beneath you. And all of a sudden you get buried so far underneath that you, you, you become non-existent. Until we realize that that's the business that we're in right now, and we have to really try and control every dynamic of our business, optometrists are going to be lost. Opticians are going to be lost. The optical business is, it, 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 it can come, it can go. You know, the benefit of, you know, um, we talked before about, um, you know, medical billing and stuff like that. That's great, you know, but they can also control, even if we don't want to say it, they're controlling our ability to get on these panels. And they're controlling in some of in these rural areas, maybe not. But in the big cities, they are making a big control over what you can and cannot do. And oh, they, yeah. can, they can bargain and they can, they can have lobbyists that we struggle to get and we can't collectively bargain, but they can collectively decide on what we get reimbursed. I found out today that iMed is forcing my optical to submit wholesale of the frames. Yeah, yeah. iMed never did that before. Yeah. So now all of a sudden they're going to, because they're looking and saying, hey, you're doing with VSP and VSP is paying you less. So why should we pay you more? Yeah. Right. Cause they know that you're on all these pants. They, they say, listen, this plan is paying you. You know, I negotiated for most of my insurances. So mm-hmm. most of the vision plans I negotiated didn't accept the, the first rate and the first line item. Right. But they would come back at me and say, Hey, we're $5 more than these people. 
why are you complaining to us and you take this plan? So they, they're going to look and see that, hey, we can see what you build. You know, we can see what you do. They can, you can look up on Medicare and see how much, you know, how many things you're submitting, what you're doing. Eventually, they're going to say, why should we pay you this amount if you'll accept this amount? You know, where is the consistency? You're doing the same work or are you doing different work? And if you're doing different work, that's illegal. Yeah. So, and if you're playing the game with S codes and you're playing the game with discounts and you're playing the game with 9-2 versus 9-9 codes, they'll catch that too because they can audit it, you know? Yeah. So, um, we, we just have to, we have to really understand the business that we're in and understand that business is changing. Even if you don't have the answers, at least ask the right questions. Yeah. I always think, Adam, I think, you know, you're, you're right on point with a lot of that stuff. And, and I think on the one hand, I, I, was, I was thinking about it today. I was talking to a friend of mine and um, we were having a conversation about this idea that, you know, if you really knew, I almost, I wonder if you had a, a vision plan and, uh, you know, you had a tool that allowed you to say, okay, here's, and you really, if everybody did this, say, look, this is our cost. This is what we would normally charge our usual and customary and then we have our cost in the lab component and purchasing the, the frames, lenses, all that sort of thing. And then you have uh, the vision plan, which is basically a bunch of co-pays, essentially, mm-hmm. that they're going to take chargebacks on and those sorts of things. And I always wondered, like, okay, if, if you could just do the math and say, this is what your vision plan is going to charge you, right? And, and, or, or this is what we would charge our usual and customary for this. This is what we're collecting so this is what you have to pay a patient. This is what your insurance company is charging you mm-hmm. based on what we're collecting. And this little piece over here is what we're taking from all mm-hmm. of that mess. I think, I think sort of talking about that in, in that way allows patients to see first, you know, they've got the vision, their insurance plan, which they think of as an insurance plan is actually charging them more money for a service that they think they've already paid for on a monthly basis through their, through their work or, you know, their work. And then two, it also made me think, okay, well, let's say that price that all of those benefits are entailed within for the insurance company was 500 bucks, right? Let's say it's just 500 bucks, make it easy. And you can say, well, I can look at my cost of goods over here and um, I'll give you that same thing for 499. And I don't have to submit anything. We don't have to go through all that rigmarole. And so, and, and obviously then you have to make sure your cost of goods are, are, are in line. But I don't think that whole thing is so confusing as you say, is that it's really challenging to know at the end of the day what you're making mm-hmm. for the time you're taking to mm-hmm. see those patients. It's, it is very difficult. They make it confusing. Yeah. With the chargebacks, sometimes you don't understand when they combine invoices and you, they combine 10 invoices onto one, you can't tell what, what you made money on one versus the other. You really do not know. <laughs> you know, it, it, is, it is very difficult. Um, yeah. What I would say is, and I, and, I, and I think about this and I say, okay, well, what do I do? Because um, if you don't accept the insurances, then you don't get that customer. Half yeah. the customers come in and say, I looked on my insurance website first, then I went on Google and you had great ratings, so then I came. Yeah. Or the other way around, they still went back to check their insurance. They, they found who, Google first and then they're going to check to make sure you're on it. Or the other way around. Either way, they still, they're still yep. checking, right? And then I thought, you know, well, what about just going after cash pay? Well, who is a cash pay customer? If they have a lot of money, most likely they have insurance. Yep. If they have a little bit of money, they probably have Medicaid or some, some sort of in, insurance. 
The only people that maybe truly cash pay is somebody that's a small business owner and does not, does not get it from their own business. So they work for themselves. They are W9, I mean, a 1099 employee or something like that. Then they would not have insurance. Everybody else has insurance. Even my customers that come in and maybe I don't take their insurance and they come and they pay out of pocket. They still do have insurance, Yeah, yeah. you know? So any of the people that say, oh, my business is 50% cash pay. I would say 50% people may pay in cash, but some of those people may have a crappy insurance that they choose not to use, but they do have insurance. Well, I think the other thing that people get lost in that number, Adam, is that that we forget the fact that like, if you see a significant portion of medical patients or you see a significant portion of of patients who have services that are non-covered. So for example, you have a patient that has insurance, but pays, you know, they, they use their benefits on their glasses and pay out of pocket for their contact lenses or vice versa, whatever it is. It can be easy to look at the cash coming in and think as that's a cash what pay and think it's that's not. actually cash. It's not. It's, it, so I, I think about this a lot and, and I would love to say we have, you know, a lot of cash pay patients in our, in our practice. We have a lot of patients that pay cash for things that are not covered, mm-hmm. but we don't have a lot of patients that come to our practice have uh, no and, insurance at all. And have no insurance at all. That is such a, uh, such a rarity. What, what, what's happening, what they look at is, let's give you an example. You, you have a $50,000 month, right? Yep. And you look on there and you see $40,000 on a credit card receipts and you see uh, $2,000 in checks and you see $3,000 in, um, in insurance reimbursements. And you're like, oh, I have so much cash paid. Yeah, exactly. No, that's just the co-pays that you got yeah. back and those are the, one, the second pairs and the other things that, that, that you got on there. But those people, if you didn't accept their insurance, they would have never came to yep. your store in the first place. Yep. Now, if you, will, if you will hear, some people will say, you know, insurance is just a, a marketing bill. I can see that because mm. you're taking what you, what you would have accepted as an exa- exam of $150 and you're accepting $50. So you're paying $100 to acquire that customer. Right. I get that concept that people try to make. But even if I spent $100 in Facebook and Instagram ads, how, which customer would I be reaching? Because the customer that I'm reaching after that $100 ad most likely would have insurance. Unless I'm finding the person, like I said, that is a 1099 person that doesn't have, insur- that doesn't have insurance or they have so much money that it doesn't matter or they have crappy insurance and they, they, were, they would like to go outside of their insurance. But for the most part, that person that I'm going to reach will have insurance. So who am I actually reaching? I'm still reaching the insurance customer right. that I have to then convince to come into my store. Right. So, and all the guys that with the gray hair that say, oh, um, you know, I'm, I don't take any of those vision plans and well, I'm all, <laughs> yeah, but after you've grown to be such a big medical plan, practice a lot of your patients are on medicare or they have diabetes and high blood pressure and they're using their medical to see you but that doesn't mean they don't have davis and imed and vsp they're just getting coming in there for cataracts and for uh medical insurances and they're still coming in and i bet you if you go look in their opticals they don't sell that many frames Mm. or they have crappy frames and the people walk out of their store anyway and then they tout their chest as saying, oh, I have this big medical practice and I'm doing this and I do 30, 30 OCTs a day. And I'm like, yeah, and you probably sell two glasses too. Like, so it's, it's, you know, it's possible to do that, but not when you want a warm start. 
Not when you want. You couldn't open like that. You it wouldn't. It, it, it's not possible. You would it's, go bankrupt before you would even before you would even see daylight. Yeah, I would. I would. I would tend to agree. I mean, I think. I think. Um, you know, if if you've listened to me long enough, you know that I'm I'm kind of a hawk on uh, our profession, understanding the value of the services that we're providing to our patients and to a and to the healthcare system in general. And I do think that the the ultimate translation of that, that value comes from managing the eye diseases that we see that are chronic every mm-hmm. single day in our practice. And there are plenty, right? Like if you look at, at, at the, the prevalence data on that, I've done the numbers. Uh, it's astounding to think, yeah, I don't see that many patients with eye disease. But the reality is, is that if they're, you know, except when they get referred in as, you know, and most of the time, uh, unfortunately, docs, tend to hold on to, you know, we're not seeing patients with dry eye in my practice that are getting referred in that are like the mild stage dry eyes, right? They're the advanced stage dry eyes when they get referred in by somebody else. Right. But we can, and we can help those patients. We can help them a lot. But the, um, the, the ideal patient is you get to them super early. Well, the way you get to those patients early is you accept their vision plan because that's exactly. in their mind what the, what's going to bring that's them That's what in. they're coming for. Yeah. That's right. So, so I mean, I can't tell you how many people that, you know, over the years that they, their vision plan, we don't take very many. We take two, we take VSP and IMED. And I can't tell you how many people will tell me, well, they, they go away for two or three years and then they come back and say, well, I can finally see you again. Cause you are taking my insurance yeah. change. But you know what? We haven't built their vision plan for like 10 years because they've got a medical disease. Right, right, right. So in their mind, and they know it. We've, we've charged them the refraction. They don't realize it. They don't realize they, it. They don't even think about it. And, and now all of a sudden it's like they think they got to go someplace else because they look at the vision plan as primary. And then I'm going for vision, but they're also looking the, the doctor locator yeah. is more on the vision plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when they're going for a doctor locator, it's talking about a vision, a, a, a vision plan. It isn't so much Medicare with a doctor locator, right? So it's, yep. it's, it's it, it, it's the, that that's where the list that they're getting from for providers. And that's where we, we don't really have a, a ability to fight against that. You know what I mean? Like I understand the issues. I understand where we are, but we have to really just come to terms and say, I wish we could just lock some of these guys in a room and let's just talk <laughs> about it and figure out a way that we can be fair. And then we can just work together instead of working against each other. And then just being smart, being like, okay, I understand the issues. But how do I work around it? You know what yeah. I mean? The rules keep changing. Every time you turn around, the rules are changing. So you have to then just learn the new rules and say, okay, there are ways to succeed with vision plans. There are ways to succeed with medical plans. Yep. There are ways to do almost any of these strategies can work, but you have to really understand it. You could open without taking any vision plans. I would say you would work by yourself. You would, you would be open. You would keep your costs down. I would be in a medical building on the second floor mm. so that my mm. rent is really, really low. Yeah. You know, there are ways to, to do it. You answer the phone yourself. You know, you do all that stuff and you can grind it out and open. You can do it, but you need to understand. I wouldn't come in there and think you're going to, you know, have this big, big rent and think you're going to, you're not going to get enough cash flow. Yeah. And that's where understanding the business that you're in and understanding the rules that are happening around you and how this stuff is actually changing actively, how stuff is changing, you know, I tell everybody, if Amazon started selling frames, I'm out of business. I'm going to be yeah. a real estate agent because, you know, these. these, these no, these, no, because you, you can. So that's, that's, that's where I disagree with you. I, I think 
I get what you're saying, right? But if you're really effective at taking care and managing those patients who have that disease, then you and you do it now, then those patients are going to they can get their frames at Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. But but they can't get the treatments that you offer in your practice at Amazon. Well, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm joking here with the Amazon. No, I know, I know, the, I know you are. <laughs> but you, you still have to understand that the, the the big business and the rules that are happening around us. If if they actually wanted to put that fine tooth comb and they wanted to actually put that magnifier on us here, we'd have to really understand the rules. We'd have to yeah. really say, okay, how can I compete against this? And where is my differentiator? How am I different? If if you don't have a good defi- differentiator you're going to struggle. You know, I I looked at this thing and it said that AutoZone was one of the few places that was winning the wars as a brick Mm -hmm. and mortar against Amazon. How are they doing it? So what they were saying is that they're having people that are educated in the stores and people are coming in with a problem and they're solving it there that day. They're doing hands-on. They're doing things where they're changing the battery for you. They're putting on the wiper blades. They're giving you, you can get tires. I mean, you can do stuff right then and there in the store with educated people, educated staff in the brick and mortar um, that a lot of places are, are struggling with. Mo- you know, most places are not having the best up-to-date educated staff and giving and showing value. The same way they talk about Best Buy, you know, uh, succeeding in Amazon, in the Amazon Wars. And it's like, you know what? They said, listen, we're not going to be showrooms. We're going to say, hey, we're going to compete on price. We're going to compete on service. And we're going to give that personal care and that personal touch because to this day i still want to see the tv before i buy it yeah and before i can leave the store they say hey we'll match the price over there we're not going to lose you over 50 bucks you know what i mean we understand what's going on and they're succeeding you know and they're finding and it's just finding those things and understanding okay how can you compete against these these big giants and that's really being educated really knowing and understanding your customer you know i wish some more of these ehrs would give us more demographic information about mm. our customer that you could look up. I would love to be able to pull out from my EHR, you know, where do all my customers live? You know, what are my age brackets? Easily, just me another pull. What are my age brackets? What are the insurances that they all accept? You know, you can do it by some reports and you have to sit down and do some calculations, but it's not easy to pull that stuff out and really understand, you know, you know what, who my customer is, who are they serving, what are they coming in for, um, that kind of thing. Um, how long is it? Are, are we taking with people giving the average return time for my customers? I know yeah. what the rules tell you 14 months for contacts, 24 months for, for, for glasses, but what do my customers come back? Can I get a number, you yeah. know, really understand. And that's where data and information that these big businesses, they understand oh, yeah. their customers so much better because their backend systems are better yep. than us. And when, until we get to the point where we really understand our particular customer and how they move and why, what brought them in and what caused them to buy and what did they feel and what did they uh, experience in the stores, we'll, we'll, it'll, it'll be a while before we'll play catch up enough to understand uh, when things are happening. So do you think, so um, in this, in this uh, game of chess, do you think that most people are, you know, cause I, I brought it before, you know, you, you, I can tell that you, that you like to hustle, right? I like to hustle. So that means you're always anal- analyzing things, but is it just the law that, you know, 20% of people are going to be like that and you're like that. 
and we can't save 80%? Or what's your sense, and you talk, when you go around and talk about this stuff to different people, what's your sense of how many of them are actually going to grasp what you're, what you're talking about and, and they're going to actually do something about it? I would say you go after the 20% and empower the 20%. You're never going to be all things to all people. You're never going to get everybody to row in the same direction. And somebody has to work for somebody. But what you need to do, what we, I want to do is give the tools to the 20%. Because there's 20% that's screaming, give me the help. I want the help and I don't have the tools I need. Um, especially the way they're marketing optometry now. I really hate the way they're marketing optometry. Mm, they're making that. it seem like the easy profession. Because they're trying to go after the people and saying, hey, we have fun and we have a work-life balance. What the mm. heck is work-life balance? Yeah. You have to hustle. you got to work. Yes, you get that in the end. But you don't – there are students graduating now and a, a month in, they're like, I need a work-life balance. I need a break. No. You just started. Like, uh -huh. what are you talking about? No, but that's because that's where they're attracting them. That's what they're doing. Mm. They're trying to get admission numbers up. So they're, get, they're getting people that probably shouldn't be in the profession. And then they're, getting, they're, then they're attracting people with the wrong set of rules and circumstances that, oh, you can have a family, you can do this, and it, it's so easy, and, you know, it's doable. No, I grind. I bust my yeah, butt. We talked yeah, about yeah. how hard it was for me to graduate and for people to get through. And, and you know what? I'm not mad at the struggle I had to go through to graduate. You know what? Because I didn't know the stuff the first time around. And because of you, I knew my stuff in the end. I <laughs> no, learned it afterwards. It's all you, man. I, all you, know, you. you learn your stuff. You hustle. You grind. You know what it is. You put in the work. And later, you get the work-life balance. But, you, you know, when I graduated, I was working six days a week. Sometimes I would do seven. So then I would do 13 days in a row. And I did that for about four or five years. You know what I mean? Like grinding and putting yep. in the work. But now they're, they're trying to do too much work-life balance and too much, oh, it's to relax and, oh, you can do it forever and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, no, I say you're not going after trying to change the minds of the 80%. Mm. What you have to do is empower and engage the 20%. And that 20% will save the profession. That 20% will allow private practice to still be here because a really good private practice is it has multiple doctors. So you don't necessarily need everybody to be the big chief, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you yeah. still, you still need somebody to work for those people. But if you don't give the rules and you don't give the playbook to the 20%, that, that percentage will shrink because everybody that could sell to private equity is selling or is looking to sell. Yeah. So if you could, and, and a lot of the people that aren't selling, either their practice isn't worth much or they tried it and didn't get the number. Mm. And almost anybody I know that was over, that's over 55 that had a decent practice, at least investigated how much money. Because when sure. you hear so-and-so got four times gross, you're like, what? Yeah. You know what I mean? like, Do you know anybody that actually got that? I mean, they, they, they actually say, got that number. I don't know. But I mean, that's like the ridiculous numbers. But when, some, when you hear that and that's what's being whispered, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you would investigate too. Anybody totally. would investigate, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you're like, okay. I wasn't planning on retiring, but that's so much money. Like if I wait and the, and the, and the American optical service thing happens where everybody goes bankrupt and belly yeah. up and I have no ability to do anything later on, I'm screwed. Yeah. So they're, they're selling, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's happening. So anybody who, you know, they, if you don't empower the 20%, you don't give them the rules, you don't give them the playbook, 
it, private practice won't survive, not the same way we know it, you yeah. know, not in the same dynamic of, of people having these great long careers and having these great businesses that I'm able to pass down to my kids. I'm able to do this and that and the other. That will end up being the exception, not the rule. We could turn into pharmacy. And yes, oh, yeah. there are some yeah. great, yes, there's some great compounding pharmacies. There are some places that they do chemical medications for cancer patients and, and, and they, they, they do you know, compounding work, but they ain't selling that much metformin, you know? Yeah. So uh, unless we do the work, we, and then, you know, we can become the compounding pharmacy uh, type profession where if you're doing the dry eye and the AMD and the vision therapy and sports vision and scleral lenses, you'll survive. But those, that minus two myopia yeah. is going to be gone. If we don't understand the rules and figure and figure out a way that part of the profession. Uh, yeah, I, I feel you, man. I, I think, I think um, you're absolutely right. I, I think, you know, I've, I've been pretty neutral and you'll hear over the next couple of weeks. Um, my, my neutrality, I think on, on the, on the, on the podcast, when I talk to people with private equity, I've tried to remain neutral. Although I can't say that honestly, through this whole process over the last six to nine months of thinking through a private equity that I've been a completely objective observer. Cause I do have, you know, I do have, uh, I do have my, my thoughts about it, but I've tried to remain relatively objective on the podcast just to try to get a sense of, of what's going on. But I'll tell you, my mind's made up. I don't think it's a good thing for the profession. Now, having said that, I do think that it's, um, I, under, I completely understand those numbers, right? I completely understand I'm 55 years old. I want to be done practicing and, uh, and I've already retired. I've already saved for my retirement. So I've planned well, I'm going to be or done. This is their retirement. They didn't or have this, any other plan. Yeah, and yeah. they're like, if I cash out now, I'm good. If I stay in and everything, everything crumbles around me, I may end up at the same point. So if yeah. I'm going to end up at the same point, with the same amount of money, then I can get out and get, be done with the headache now. Yeah. 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 So I get all that. And I, and so I can't blame people that do sell. I think the the biggest challenge I think is just, you know, I've said this before, um, you know, my dad's a true believer and it means a true, true believer in this. And, And so I, I feel like, man, if you, it would be attractive, right? And we all have a number. And I think, mm-hmm. I think even my dad has a number, right? Like Everybody there's gotta be, there's gotta be, a everybody number. got a number, but man, I don't even think, I don't even think the numbers that people are throwing around are even scratching the surface uh, because I've got, you know, I've got enough years of practice left in me. And mm-hmm. two, I, I believe exactly what you're saying is that in order for us to not become pharmacy, we've got to be doing things that put us, set us apart from, selling glasses, selling contact lenses. I think we can do that. I think we can provide those services better than anybody else can in our practices. I'm not saying abandon them, but I think all the other stuff that we do uh, for our patients is how we survive. It's the compounding pharmacy, if you will, right? I, I you suggested. When I, when I look and I, I laugh because you look on social media and I, I laugh and I say the gray hair guys, right? But I have a few gray hairs, a couple now. Uh, after what I've been through, I got a couple of gray hairs now, but um, <laughs> they point the finger and say, these young graduates, they're coming in and working for these commercial places and it's ruining our profession and this, that, and the other. And what everybody wants to do is point the finger at everybody else instead of what am I doing? Because everybody at the end that's taking private equity money is the same people that got the benefit from getting Medicare parity and getting all this stuff and, and, and starting off in the cash, cash pay 
businesses and, you know, you know, starting off with those benefits coming all the way through to the end and then turn around and say commercial optometry is ruining the profession and blaming the, blaming the new grads and saying, don't take those jobs. Hello, you're not hiring me. So if, you, if these are the jobs that are in front of me, one <laughs> is paying 140 and you're offering me 67 yep. and then saying 67 plus a commission, but I'm not sure what that commission will be. You'll see when you get here. <laughs> and then say, you know what I mean? And then, and then look at them and say, it's their fault. No, you know, it's, I, I, this is, this is what, and they have more them. debt than they've ever had before. Right. Yeah, with 250, $300,000 in debt, Crazy. not knowing what's going on, not yeah. educated on, you know, what you can do. What are your options? Where are they? When they come to your practice, you don't want to offer them uh, to be a partner. You say work for five, 10 years and I'll let you know, you know what I mean? So you yep. can't turn around and then you take, you know, all the vision plans, all the crappy insurances, do all this stuff, and then turn around and sell the private equity and say, those new grads ruined it for everybody. Right. No, you are leaving the profession after you sell the private equity. And then all of a sudden, your, uh, the, the practice, if, if it goes under, goes, goes bankrupt yep. and goes terrible, yep. you, you allow that to happen. Nobody else allowed that to happen. It happened under your watch. These new grads had nothing to do with the profession they were handed. When they graduated and they came out, this is the profession that was left to me. You know, I started this journey eight years ago in undergrad and coming all the way through. Eight years ago, 10 years ago, optometry was different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was a different world, you know, there. It's a different ball game now. So the profession that's coming out, it is the fault of the people at the end that are then making the decisions to cash out. And I... I understand if somebody's offering you $1.5 million, you know what I mean? And saying, and saying, thank you. I can understand, but then don't turn around and wag your finger at the other one. Yeah. Don't turn around and say I'm better than everybody else. And then when we people need you, you need to help out. You know what I mean? When you cashed out yeah, for $1.5 totally. million and $2 million, I hope you're giving some money to AOA. I hope you're, give, I hope you're doing something to help the profession with all that big money you just got out of it. Because when it falls apart later on, you know, don't disappear and be in Tahiti. You know what I mean? Like, be around. <laughs> like, be visible. Try and help. You know what I mean? Help somebody else with, with, with all that. But most of them disappear. They take the money and they're off all these on Facebook. Interesting. <laughs> they disappear into the sunset. You know, you so don't that's anybody. interesting you observe that too because that's been my observation as well. Oh, they take the money and disappear. And, 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 they're, and they're not there to help. I mean, like, listen, you went and you know you got double what you should have got. <laughs> they know that. They know they got double. So if you should have got one million and you got two, then you could give a hundred thousand dollars to AOA and, <laughs> and allow the profession to be, uh, be able to fight. Hey, you know what I mean? Amen. Like, come on, like you got more than you should have. Help out the other ones, and you should want. You know how many people? You know if you're gonna sell out, and you have your kids and your grandkids that want to get in this profession, and you know it's gonna be trash. But they're like, how do I say no? I'm like, mm. I'm not telling you to say no. I understand it. Everybody making their own financial decisions. But don't just disappear. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, speak up. Say something. Help out. Do what you can with all the extra you got. You can do um, a lot from Tahiti, right? You can do Email a lot still, from Tahiti. Yeah, phone calls, you, you can podcasts. Do a lot. You can do a lot. <laughs> Get on your podcast and, and, right. and come on anonymously and, and do whatever <laughs> you can to help and support. But, I mean, that's why... You know, when you get educated on something, you go through something, a lot of times I, I learned the idea of trademarking and I learned what I needed to do for myself and the business moves that I'm making. But I say, you know what? 
it'd be silly of me not to try and help somebody yeah. else, educate somebody else. Is there some repercussions to me? Maybe. Is there, you know, sometimes you, you don't want to say anything because it could be, it can blow back at you? Maybe. But you know what? I think it's wrong if you don't try and help. If you yeah. don't see one, teach one, do one. You know what I mean? Like let somebody else become educated um, and, and see how you can help and make a difference. If you actually care. You know, if you say you really care and you care about the profession that's given you so much and has blessed you so much and allowed you to live the life that mm. you've lived, then when you look back, how many of those people can go back and say that I did something for the profession? I helped out. I made a difference. Um, I don't know how many people could say that, you know. Adam, I, I don't know any better way to, to finish this up except to say thank you and Tell people where they can get your book. I'm hoping to hear the audio version of it. I, you know, I'm, I've asked for that already. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so tell us where we can find your book and where we can find more about you. So play chess, uh, so play chess, not checkers.net. The ebook and printed is available now. The audible has been loaded. So it, it, they have a, a long uh, uh, process to get it up, but I've mm. done everything. It's already been recorded. It's already been loaded. You'll be able to find it on playchestnotcheckers.net. Um, you can go to Amazon. You can go to iBooks. You can go to Barnes & Nobles. It's available everywhere. Um, hopefully, by the time this drops, the Audible will be available. I've mm. already done, I've done the recording. So I did cool. what I can. Go to playchestnotcheckers.net. Um, you can find me, Dr. Adam Ramsey, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Anywhere social media, I'm there. If you can't find me, you weren't looking hard enough. I really appreciate you giving me the chance to be on your podcast and talk to your audience. You've done such a great job with this podcast and with your platform uh, to be able to bring to light some different stories and different topics um, that are not being told elsewhere. And you have a great perspective um, and you have a great opinion. And I, lo I love hearing the stories. I've listened to every single one awesome. of your podcasts. Um, and I'm just happy and, uh, that I was actually able to come on and share and add value because you set the bar so high for me. I appreciate what you've done for my, in my career, and I can't wait to, to, to do more and to hang out some more in the future. Hey, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.